a Podcast One production. Welcome to Season 3 of Crappy to Happy. I'm Cass Dunn and on behalf of Tiff and I, I want to thank you so much for your support over the last 12 months. Crappy to Happy has been downloaded millions of times. It was handpicked by Apple to be listed in their best podcasts of 2018 list, which warms my heart. And most importantly, every week we get messages from you telling us how much you've enjoyed and appreciated all the topics that we've brought you so far. I know that you're all pumped to get stuck into a whole lot of new episodes and right now you're probably wondering, but where's Tiff? Tiff Hall has obviously been my co-host up until now, but Tiff has recently been very busy working on an exciting new project, which you will no doubt be hearing about soon if you haven't already. And her schedule has meant that she has been unable to record any more episodes of the show. See, here's what I decided to do. In Tiff's absence, I decided that I wanted to bring you the most interesting, inspiring and intelligent people who are all able in various ways to help you continue moving along the path from crappy to happy. In upcoming episodes, I will be bringing you conversations with the likes of Christina Carlson, the founder of Kiki K Stores, about the importance of dreaming big and finding your why, Taran Brumfitt, the founder of the Body Image Movement and director of the Embrace documentary, we talked about the importance of learning to love the skin you're in, and Jamila Rizvi about how to be more confident at work, and so many more amazing people. I know you are going to be motivated, inspired and informed by what they have to share. To kick off this season, I am so excited to share with you a conversation I had with none other than Churia Pitt. Churia obviously is most well known for being caught in a grass fire when she was competing in an ultra marathon back in 2011. She sustained burns to 65% of her body and you may not be aware that she actually died on the operating table and was revived. She not only defied the odds with her recovery, but she's gone on to set and achieve some incredibly ambitious goals. She is now a motivational speaker, an author, humanitarian, success coach, wife, and of course, mother to one-year-old Hakavai. I spoke to Taria about the mindset strategies that she used to recover from her injuries and why she believes in setting massive goals. I know you are going to love this conversation. Tria, thank you so much for coming in to talk to me today. Thank you so much for having me. You are most uh, commonly known for being caught in an ultra marathon grass fire and sustaining burns to 65% of your body. Um, This show is called Crappy to Happy and I can't think of too many things that really get much crappier than that. (laughs) Um, So what I thought I would like to ask you first of all was if you can go back to when that happened... When you first woke up and realised the extent of your injuries, what what was the first thing that went through your mind? Yeah, I guess it's that's kind of a hard question to answer because I don't really have one definitive moment where I was fully cognizant of the extent of my injuries and also the, the amount of re- rehabilitation and the amount of work that I'd have to put in to my recovery. Mm. So I guess that might have been my saving grace at the same time because I wasn't really too aware of of how badly I was burnt. Mm. Um, I think one of the first one of the first things that I was asked to do was I'd been in a coma for a month and my physio came into to the room one morning and he said okay my name is Frank I'm your physio and I'm gonna, I'm here to help you learn how to stand again. And he picked he, he pulled me up and I was screaming with agony wow. 
And I was on the edge of the bed and he said, okay, one, two, three, now we're going to stand. And I stood up and I just, I was leaning against him. I wasn't supporting any of my own weight. And I was sobbing and I was crying. And it wasn't just because of the pain, but it was because I guess that was a moment where I, where I realized just how long my road to recovery was because I couldn't even stand up by myself. Mm. You know, I'd been burnt running in an ultra marathon and now I couldn't even walk. I couldn't even run. So I realized at that point I couldn't just focus on what my life used to look like because if I did that, what would have happened? I would have been demoralized. You know, when we're, when we're here, we want to get to there, but there is so far away. Yeah. It's really easy for us to feel disheartened and overwhelmed and demoralized. So, you know, a lot of the time we just give up before we even start. And so what I would do at the beginning of the day, I would say to myself, I'd set really small goals. So today I'm going to walk to the door of my hospital room or today I'm going to walk uh, 10 steps down the hallway. So I, I broke it down into really manageable and really easily digestible steps. Yeah, and I've actually just been reading your book, Unmasked. I know it's not your only book, but I think it's the most recent one at this point. Yeah, yep, yes. And I have to say, by the way, fantastically written. You are a masterful storyteller. I know that people are interested in your story, but you have a real talent for writing. I would recommend anybody read it. Um, ah, thank you. <laughs> you're most welcome. <laughs> um, and in the book, you talked about uh, very early on in your recovery, deciding that you were going to get back and you were going to complete an Ironman triathlon, which is one of the most grueling endurance events in the world. And I'm just really curious about what was it that inspired you to set such a big goal? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think the trap that a lot of us fall into is we, we played a little too safe with goals that we set. And I think the only way that we become, we become more of what we already are and that we, that we go beyond what our current capabilities are is to set a really massive, really audacious goal. And for me, that was Ironman because I was told that I'd never be able to run again. Mm. And yet I decided to do this crazy Ironman, which is a, you know, four kilometer swim, 180 kilometer bike ride, and then a whole marathon at the end of it. So uh, I think if I'd never set that goal of doing an Ironman, I never would have been fit enough to do an Ironman. Like, does that, does that make sense? So I think when people say to me, oh, you know, I'm going to sign up for a marathon when I'm fit enough, that's the sort of things they they say to me in my school of champions. Or, you know, I'm going to do this when I'm, fitter or I've lost weight or I've got more money or I've, or I've bought a house or I think they do it backwards I think you know the first thing you do is set a goal you find a really crystal clear and compelling reason for wanting to do that goal and then that makes it easier for you to do the work to get you there yeah and I know that also you had other smaller goals on the way like for example somebody one of the doctors challenged you to climb to the top of the stairs do you want to talk about that just briefly about getting to the the top of the stairs yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was after I'd learned how to stand up and walk again. And I used to do one flight of the stairs every single day. And I was really proud of myself because I thought that that's a pretty good achievement. And I told one of my surgeons and he said to me, oh, well, that, he said, so well, you, you should be doing all of them. And I thought, you know what, righty, I will do all of them. I did the stairs every single day for about six months, and it doesn't mean I got better at them every day, you know, because improvement's not always linear. Mm. But 
The main thing is that I was consistent and I applied myself. And by the end of the stay in that hospital, I was able to do every single one of those 234 stairs up to the Burns unit. And I think that plays into what I was saying about goal setting. You know, you have the goal, you have your reason for why you want to achieve it. So my reason for wanting to do that was I wanted to prove my surgeon wrong. Yep. And then you've also got to put in the work consistently. Absolutely. and Does that make sense? Yeah, yes, it does. So you set the big goal, but then you take the small actions. Is yeah, it, yeah, yeah, for sure. Can we just pick up on that? He told me that I couldn't do it. It, it occurs to me that this is um, something that has always been within you. If somebody tells you that you can't do something, you are more determined to go ahead and prove them wrong. Yeah, if someone tells me that I can't do something, it's like waving a red flag <laughs> at a bull. <laughs> like, but I guess... I'm lucky in that I've recognised that in myself and I've used that to be able to motivate me because I think we can all be motivated to do anything we want. You know, I don't know I don't know if you're a, a mum. Yeah, I am, yep. Yeah, so, you know, as a parent, you would do absolutely anything in the world for your kid. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think if I said to you, would you be able to do an ultra marathon if I gave you $5? Yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> now, what that. if I what if I took your kids away and I said you're never going to see them again until you do an ultra marathon? Yeah, absolutely. There we go. Yeah. So we can all get incentive. We can all get leverage. We can all be motivated into doing something. We just need to really work out what what that point is for ourselves. Yeah. And I guess I'm I'm blessed in that when people tell me that something can't be done, I find that a really motivating factor. I did glean that from reading your book. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I also wondered about that, though, is, and I, I know that there will be people who listen or people who hear your story and just assume mm. that this quality or this drive, this motivation to overcome challenges is something that you're just born with. What do you have to say to those people who say, well, that's all well and good for her, but I'm just not wired that way? Mm. I guess, you know, like how Usain Bolt, is the fastest man in the world over 100 metres. And not all of us have Usain Bolt's DNA or genetics. So probably, you know, if you trained, you probably wouldn't be able to run as fast as Usain Bolt. Having said that, if you got a running coach, if you did training every day, if you analysed your speed and your takeoff and how fast you were going and and you changed your shoes and you joined a running group, I can bet you a million dollars that after a year you'd be a better runner. Absolutely. So I think the same principle applies when you're talking about your mindset or when you're talking about whether or not you can overcome challenges. We can all do it. It's just about how much practice you've had at doing it and how much, how much work you're doing on improving your mindset. Yeah. Tria, I'm, not saying that, I'm not saying that everyone's going to be excellent at it straight away. No. Just like not everyone's going to be an excellent runner straight away. But everybody's got the potential to grow. Everyone's got the, yeah, yeah, just like everyone's got potential to be a better simmer or a better parent or a better colleague. I just want to say also that when people hear your story or when people, you know, people use words like inspiring and motivating mm. and all of that to describe you, I've actually, before you came um, in here to talk to me, I met a few people who have met you and have known you. And the word that most often is used to describe you from those people is funny. 
they say yeah. that you have you have the best sense of humour. And I'm just, I would just be really, I know, don't know that we always see that side of you publicly. And I'm wondering, like, how important has that been for you to maintain your sense of humour in in such the face of such adversity? I think it's important for anyone. Like, if you're having a bad day and you can have a laugh about it, you instantly feel better, yeah? Yeah. And I think the more you can inject humour into your everyday and not take yourself so seriously. Yeah. You know, because I think life's for living. It's not... It's not something that always has to be taken so serious. Like we, we, we all do. We all have a tendency to take ourselves and our problems and our issues so seriously. But I also think there's a lot of benefit in just cutting all of that away and just constantly trying to find the, the good in the situation or the funny in the situation. Yeah. I'm not saying it's always possible. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to have shit days. But I think there's a real skill in being able to see the funny side in situations. And I, I had a really funny mum growing up who was always doing that with us kids. And she would do that with me in the hospital. You know, she'd imitate the doctors in funny voices. Um, she'd make me laugh every single day. And I think... Uh, I'm really grateful to my mum for, for giving giving that to me. But do you feel um, also pressure, given your situation and given the field that you're in, do you feel that pressure to always be positive? I mean, you said before, everybody has shitty days, right? So yeah. do you feel I, that? I don't, I don't really think I'm a positive person, to be honest. Really? I think, yeah, I, I think I'm a realist. Like, I know if I want to get over there, I can look at things through the negative lens and that's going to make me feel really shit or I could look at things through the positive lens that's going to make me feel good and more empowered and therefore more likely to get to the destination that I want to get to and I also know that if I just put in the work and I do the do the yards and I do the time anything's possible so I, I don't go through life you know saying affirmations or or using mantras or anything like that uh, if they work for people I think that's great good for them yeah. they don't work for me but yeah I, I would consider myself a realist I think I find it really interesting Terry that if, for all that you've been through and the, the like the positive attitude that you really have maintained um, and the mm. way that you have turned this tragic tragic event into um, around and and used it as the impetus to improve your life and the lives of other people is really positive. I find that interesting that you don't consider oh, yourself... Go. Sorry, I've just fully cut you off there. <laughs> Maybe it's that I, I, I don't consider it like, you know, with with my ability to overcome challenges. I, I don't think positive positivity is an ingrained, innate attribute that we have. Like, I think we've got this really binary view of the world. We think, well, you're either that or you aren't. You're athletic or you're not. You're smart or you're not. You're funny or you're not. You're positive or you're not. Mm. Um, you're resilient or you're not. And I don't think, I think that view is, is quite constrained. I don't think the world really works like that. So I wouldn't consider myself a, a super positive person, but I consistently make the choice to see circumstances in my life as a positive thing because that helps me grow and that helps me get to where I eventually want to go. I guess you know, if, if you... Go. Sorry. No, go. See? Go. <laughs> if you wake up in the morning and you say to yourself, what are all the shit things that happened to me yesterday? And you go through them in your head 
and you think about them, I, I can guarantee you're going to wake up and you're going to feel really crap about yourself. But if you wake up in the morning from a place of gratitude and really reflect on everything in your life that you're grateful for, whether that's your kids, your partner, your job, your health, your well-being, whatever, and you, and you come from a place of gratitude, is your day going to be better or worse? Yeah, obviously better. There we go. Mm. So it's not it's not rocket science. No. You know, it, it, it's common sense. And what you're saying, what I'm hearing you saying about all of this is that everything's a choice. That we basically, yeah. we, we, we make our decisions about where we put our energy, where we direct our thoughts, everything. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Tria, uh, in your book, when you, you did achieve your goal, we should mention mm. that you did achieve your goal of completing the Ironman. Mm. Congratulations. And then you also were invited to the Hawaiian Ironman, which is the World Championships, which mm. is next level grueling right mm. um and and one part of that race during the bike ride you what people may not know about you since your accident is you, you don't have the capacity to cool yourself you can't mm. sweat and so when you overheat you actually need to cool, like, cool down physically right to pour water on yourself yeah correct and so um during that bike ride in riding through the middle of the lava fields you knew that you were getting too hot and you knew that you needed to cool down and there was no water available yes Yes, I do. I do remember that point you in do my life. Recall that. Yes. <laughs> and I was I mean, the fact that you went on and completed that race is just another sign of your tenacity, but the fact is I was thinking as I was reading that why you came so close to dying. You did die. What is it that compels you to put yourself in these situations where you might die again? Like what's that about? Yeah, I, I, I don't think I was in danger of of dying in the Ironman. Okay. Like, good. <laughs> good to know. It wasn't like, you know, a life or death situation with each pedal stroke I was hovering on the brink. It, it wasn't quite like that. You know, there was medical supervision, there was aid stations and everything. Um, but I guess it comes back to having that really, really compelling reason for why you want to do something. Like I said to you before, you know, if I said I was going to take your kids away unless you did an ultra marathon, would you be able to do it? And you said yes. So for me, the reason why I wanted to do an Ironman is after my accident, you know, doctors said you won't be able to run again. You won't be able to have that crazy physical life you used to have. But, you know, on the upside, you might be able to drive again. You know, you might get a job, Mm. that sort of stuff. And I I thought that was such bullshit, you know, that I'd had an accident and now all of a sudden everyone's expectations of me were suddenly plummeted. Yeah. And I found that really infuriating. So I decided I wanted to do an Ironman because I wanted to be fitter, faster and stronger than I was in the ultramarathon where I was catastrophically injured. Mm. And that's a super compelling reason for wanting to do something. And that was what got me out of bed in the mornings. That's what kept me going through my longer training rides. And that's what that, that's part of what kept me going in the Ironman itself. So it, just having that, you know, you know, like a New Year's resolution, like... You know, people say, oh, yeah, next year I, I, I want to lose weight. But what does that what does that even mean to them? You know, like how much emotion is connected to it? Why do they want to lose weight? What's it about? How much weight do they want to lose? And it's almost like we, we let ourselves down before we even begin and then we feel bad about ourselves because we haven't achieved it when it was just something that we never even gave that much thought to. Yeah. 
So in School of Champions, I, I really try and unpack all of that psychology behind goal setting. You know, not only setting a goal, but, you know, making sure it's the right goal for you. Do you want to do a marathon because you like running or you just think you should do it because all of your mates like running? Mm. You know, that's some of the stuff I talk about. Um, the reason for why you want to do it, that's so super important. That's what's going to keep you going when times get tough because when you're on your way to achieve an audacious goal, times are definitely going to get tough. Mm. You know, there's a section on breaking your barriers, writing down your fears, and then finding a way to overcome each and every one of them. So like, you know, what you were saying about the water, that was one of my biggest fears in Ironman, that I can't cool myself down. So if I get hot, you know, I don't sweat. So that just means I keep getting hotter and hotter and hotter. So I thought, well, maybe that means I can't do an Ironman. Maybe I shouldn't do it. But then I thought about it a little more carefully and I was like, no, if I wear a heart rate monitor, I'll be able to keep an eye on my heart rate. And if my heart rate spikes, I'll know then that I'll need to back off the pace a little bit. Mm. So there's a lot of, lot of thought that needs to go in when you're setting a goal. And I feel that's a step that a lot of people miss. And then they feel bad when they shouldn't feel bad. It's just because they've never really set a goal using the right steps and not anticipating those obstacles before they happen and working out well how you're exactly going to, you know yeah. write, write it down what's your fear it's mm. like you know i don't have 10 fingers so i can't ride a bike that's a pretty big fear yeah you know i, I can't break how am i going to put on my wetsuit yeah how am i going to cool myself down what if i get really cold because i can't warm myself up either so what if i get really cold during four kilometers of swimming which is two hours immersed in the water like, wow! there's all of those things, but I, I thought about them all before the race. You know, you don't just rock up on the day and hope for the best. No. <laughs> but, you know, we can, we can use anything as an excuse. Yeah. You know, I could have said, well, I don't have 10 fingers, so then a four, I can't ride a bike, which means I can't do the Ironman. So, yeah, I won't be able to do it all. I, I can't regulate my body temperature, so then, then, you know, I can't really run anymore. Mm. It's like saying, oh, I don't have time to do that, or... Uh, I don't have the money to do that. We can always find a way to make things happen if we're willing to adjust our lives and, and prioritise things differently. And that's that's some of the hard truths, I guess, I serve in School of Champions. I want to talk about School of Champions. Yeah. Can you just tell us a bit more about that? This is a program that you run. It's online. Is this correct? That's correct. Yes. And do you want to tell us about that? It's uh, online program. It covers my seven step steps to goal setting success. Mm-hmm. Um, and through the steps, you know, I help people unpack what kind of stuff they actually like, you know, because a lot of people don't even really know what sort of stuff they're interested in. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what could be the right goal for them? Why would they want to achieve that goal? What are all their barriers to achieving that potential goal? Then we talk about their willpower, their habits, um, creating the right support team of people around them as well. Um, it goes over seven weeks, but obviously some girls will take longer than seven weeks to achieve. Mm-hmm. But what I hope I do is, or what I, what I feel I do, is I provide a really solid framework for them to, to work from. And it's been really awesome. Like the, the shit that people have done in the school has been crazy. A lady quit a job to start a blueberry farm, wow. which is going really well. People who aren't athletic at all sign up for marathons and smash it. Um, you know, people change jobs. They 
change countries, they move careers, they sign up for all these sorts of crazy events. So it's actually been really, um, actually really inspiring for me, to be honest. Yeah. Cause it's, uh, it makes me feel like the work that I do, it not only does it work, but it, it also makes a different t- difference to people. Tria, everything that you're saying is so relevant to our listeners. These are topics mm. that we have, you know, touched on before in other episodes, but, um, and you're really pulling it all together. And I think that your School of Champions, honestly, would be something that they would all be really interested in. Um, what's just one thing that you can give people to take away? What's something that they could implement straight away mm. if they're, you know, really wanting to start to put some of this into practice in their own life? Yeah, I guess one of the simplest and easiest things that they, that they could do is to start using the word yet. Yeah. So uh, when I was a kid, uh, I remember doing really bad on a maths test and I came home and I said to my mum, I'm really crap at maths, I can't do it. And she said to me, no, Teresa, she said, you, you're crap at maths now and you can't do it yet. And just by using that that three-letter word, what does that do for us? It reminds us that our situation isn't permanent. And that also gives us hope. And hope is a really awesome feeling to take with you as you progress on to, into the future. Yeah, I love that. That's, yeah. that's really that growth mindset yeah. thing, isn't it? Well, I'll give you, I'll give you another one. This yeah. is one that I learned since having a little baby. My little son's 14 months old now. But when I first had him... Um, you know, as you probably know, Cass, it's, it's quite overwhelming oh, yeah. at the start. And I, I found myself, I was always saying, I have to go do this. You know, Huckabye's crying. I have to go pick him up. I have to go wash his clothes. I have to go get his food organized. I have to do this. I have to clean the house. I have to do that. And by, I was telling myself, I have to do all of these things. And it made me feel like I was resenting my, my beautiful, perfect, baby boy and so then instead of saying I have to I decided to say I get to I get to go pick up Huckabye I get to go feed Huckabye and I get to be here and be around and watch him grow up yeah and just by changing just that that one word that shifted the focus from one of obligation to one of gratitude. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I, I, and, and how easy is that? I know. I've, I like, have to remind myself of that one as well. Like, I have to go to work. No, I get to go to work. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, like, even just when you when you say that, you, you notice your whole physiology, your whole body actually changes. Yes. What's your take on uh, having a morning routine? Are you for morning routines or... Or, or no? Yeah, I'm definitely a full morning routines. And I think, you know, either you run the morning or the morning will run you. And I think the morning, it's it's such a sacred time. Mm-hmm. You know, you're at home and you're with your family. And it's uh, the first thing that people do. Oh, actually, let me let me rephrase. What's the first thing you do in the morning? Generally, the first thing I do is is have coffee. Okay, coffee. Well, that's what I do as well. But for a lot of people, the first thing they do when they're in bed is they reach over and they grab their... What do they grab? Phone. They grab their they phone. Grab their I phone. don't do that. I don't do they, that. Well, you're a legend then. Thank you. But they grab their phone. <laughs> they start scrolling through, seeing the text messages and, and mail and inbox and alerts and everything that's coming overnight. And then what does that do for them? That already puts them on the back foot for the day because mm. they're already in that state of mind, like, I've got to do all of this shit for everyone else before I've even addressed what it is that I need for this day. Yeah. So the first thing I do in the morning is I, I don't look at my phone. I make a coffee. 
a hucker guy always wakes me up so he's on my hip I put him down on the floor with some toys I make a coffee I come back I sit down I watch him play and I do my gratitude practice which is where I think of three things in my life that I'm really grateful for so this morning it was for my brother Tariki who came over early to come for a surf with me it was for my mum who came over to look after Hakavai while we went for a surf and the last thing was my colleague who's doing a lot of work in setting up School of Champions at the moment so the smaller the things the better Mm-hmm. And the simpler th- the things, the better, you know, because we can't always be going on a six-month jaunt around Europe um, as much as we'd like to. Mm-hmm. And and just really honing in on, on what it is that you're grateful for. And for me, starting my day from a place of gratitude always means that the rest of my day goes extremely well. Yeah. And was this number four coming here to the podcast? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was number one. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> But like you know, I, I thought this morning I have to go do this podcast. And then up you in said I get to, and then I was like, no, you get to. Like it's an <laughs> awesome opportunity. Aren't you in a cool position where people in Australia actually want to hear what you have to say? And bonus, you get to pick up a new fridge because your fridge has been beeping <laughs> incessantly for no shit the last six months. Like every time you open the door, it beeps. So it has been a good day. Oh, I've ticked all the boxes to say, <laughs> yes. Tria, one thing that really occurred to me in learning about your story is that you went from being seriously, highly competent, capable woman, ultra fit. You know, obviously you just started a new job, you're a mining engineer, you know, double degree, world at your feet. And then you really went to being reliant on other people for, as you said, every little thing, like you couldn't even Mm. stand up on your own. So I'm interested in, uh, well, for a start, how that was for you psychologically to have to become so reliant on other people and being that vulnerable. And also what have you learned, I guess, generally about the importance of of help and support and asking for help? Mm, I guess at the start, I found it infuriating, Mm. you know, to be completely incapacitated and not even being able to wipe your own ass. Like that, that was, it was infuriating for me. And especially being someone who'd always prided themselves so much on being so self-sufficient and so independent. But the thing I found is like, we have it in our heads that people are going to mind helping us to do things. Do you ever feel like that? Like you don't yes. want to ask them because you don't You're want to put imposing. them out in yes. You're going to be imposing. But people actually love helping. You know, like when you get asked to do something for someone, I'm sure you're always more than happy to. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Unless it's unless it's helping move. Move is not. <laughs> I don't help I don't I don't help We're move. generally happy to to offer assistance if people need it for sure. Yeah, because it makes us feel good. Like mm. if you're in the shopping centre and an old lady is trying to get something from the top shelf, you'll get it out for her, hand it to her, and that actually makes that 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 actually adds to your day. Yes, you know, because you feel like a top human. So that's what I really found on my journey is that people actually love helping, and they people like feeling useful as well. Mm. You know, so people want to know that they can help, and they they also want to know what they can help you with. So my advice for people who, you know, are either going through adversity or maybe they've got someone close to them who's going through adversity. So if you've got someone you know who's going through a tough time and you don't really know what to say, I would suggest offering to help but being really specific about it. 
So no, I wouldn't suggest sending a text message saying, oh, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do mm. because then that puts it on the person who's going through adversity and it's, uh, you know, they're not going to even respond with really anything. So I think if you said, you know, I'm, I'm doing grocery shopping on Friday, I'm going to be coming by your house, I can grab you some milk and some eggs and some bread, is there anything else you need? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, because the person yes. will be like, oh, yeah, tomatoes and some steak would be awesome. Thank you. Yeah, really specific. So being really, re- being really specific or, you know, I'm, I'm making some food for you. Um, I know you're a vegetarian. A kidney bean's okay. Hmm. You know, because it's implied in the message that you're or the communication that you're doing it for them anyway and it's going to happen. And then you're also asking them to input their yeah, it's helpful. Their preferences. To them. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's helpful to them. So you're not saying, "Hey, let me know if there's anything I can do." Yes, I really, th- I love that. You don't really, you know, if you're going through a tough time and someone says that to you, are you going to say, "Yeah, you can make me a kidney pie. Thank you so much." Yes. Like, <laughs> and and can I say also that I think when people say, "Do you want me to do something?" and I mean even on a day to day level like if people say can I do something yeah. me having to think about what you can do is just another job for me it's another thing for me to think yeah. about yeah, so it exactly. takes the thinking out exactly. of it exactly yeah exactly but i also want to put it on you know on the person that needs the support or needs the help you can't get annoyed with people for not helping if you if you haven't asked them specifically for what it is that you need help with mm. so so you got to speak up and you got to be really specific and really clear about what it is that you need. So you can't say, oh, I really need help at the moment. You say, look, I'm trying to get into this graphic design school in New York. It's a pretty big deal. I really want someone to sit down with me for three hours to review my designs. I trust you because you're awesome with fashion and putting together looks. Are you able to come over, help me pick out which of the options are the best and I'll make you dinner? And and that, and that's perfect. You can't just say I really need help because you're not you're not being very specific about what it is that you need help with. And do you? Um, so you, this is something that you implement now in your life. If you need help, you ask for it. Yeah. So I said to Mum, "Can you come over early in the morning? Because my brother and I we're going for a surf." Yeah. So I didn't say I didn't get annoyed at her because she's not helping out enough. I didn't expect her to read my mind. Mm-hmm. I didn't say to my brother, nah, I've, I've got a baby now. Things have changed. I can't just go surfing whenever I want to. Like, uh, I, I, I asked my mum, if my mum had said no, I would have just said to my brother, mate, I can't do it today, but when Michael's back from work this hour, I will go then. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think, I think everything's figure outable. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And this, this, all of this really applies to people who have set a goal and they're looking, you know, working to achieve it and just knowing that they need to be able to ask for help when they need it. Yeah, for sure. And I think no one, no one does anything by themselves, you know? So I think the more we can get used to asking for help and see that people don't actually mind. And if people do mind, they normally just make an excuse and then you say, okay, well, they don't want to help me with that. That's totally cool. Mm-hmm. Tria, the other thing that I have learned about you is that early on, even before this accident, you were obviously a person who had a very strong social conscious. You were um, mm. doing everything that you could to help, traveling overseas, volunteering, and that has certainly not changed um, since the accident. Um, I'm really interested to find out what are the causes that you particularly support now. 
Yeah, so just to backtrack a bit, when I was at uni, I got involved in all sorts of different charities and I was, you know, I did the 40-hour famine when I was 10 um, mm. and then I did a, a cycle around Cambodia uh, for Child Fund, which is which was with one of um, my best friends, Chris and Briggs, and that's also one of uh, Dave, the producers of this show, his good mate. Um, and then I, I, I went away with one charity to build houses for people in Mongolia. And that trip really struck me because where we were in Mongolia, the local people, they didn't actually want our help. Like, we were a bunch of uni students trying to build houses. We didn't know what we were doing. And they were like, no, 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 we've got this. We just want to do our, our own houses our own way. And I guess that really resonated with me after my accident because I had a lot of requests coming through to be an ambassador for this or an ambassador for that or an ambassador for this. And I thought I could really just focus all of my energy on the one charity and make a massive difference. And the charity of my choice is Interplast. Mm -hmm. I found out about these guys through my surgeon because he volunteers for them every year. And Interplast, they provide surgery to people who really need it in developing countries. So let's say kids who've got cleft lip or cleft palate, women who've had acid thrown on them, uh, burn survivors, people who've had amputations, pretty much everything and anything that can be fixed or remediated with surgery, that's what Interplast does. And I'm really happy to say I've helped raise uh, over a million dollars for that charity now. I think giving back, it's really a tenement of happiness, Mm. you know, because so it's so easy to get caught up in all of our problems and what's happening in our world. And uh, I think all of us, myself included, we can become a bit self-absorbed you know it's it's all about what's happening to us and it's all about the world that's going directly around us but I think when you step outside that and help someone else who's probably not as fortunate as you it really makes you appreciate what you've got in your life yeah Cheria, thank you so much for joining us today. This has just been um, a fantastic conversation from my perspective and I know 100% that our listeners will get so much out of this as well. Yeah, I really appreciate your time today as well. I had a great chat. Very conversational. (laughs) (laughs) What an incredible woman. And one thing I found really interesting during that conversation with Cheria is that she doesn't consider herself to be a naturally positive person. Instead, she sees being positive as the most sensible option if she wants to live a happier life. And of course, choosing to be positive is a choice that we can all make, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our temperament. And if you're interested in digging a little bit deeper into the benefits of injecting more positivity into your life and some strategies for doing that, I would strongly recommend that you go and check out the episode called Think Happy Thoughts. And of course, make sure if you want to get involved in Turia's School of Champions, that you check that out at turiapit.com. That's T-U-R-I-A-P-I-T-T.com. We love hearing from you. So if you love this show, please give it a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or get in touch with me personally, hello at castun.com. I also have some exciting news. The Crappy to Happy book is now available to be ordered. Link is in the show notes or you can come to my website, castun.com. In the next episode, we'll be talking to Christina Carlson, who is the founder and creative director of Kiki K. Crappy to Happy is recorded in the Podcast One studios. Produced by Dave Zwolenski. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. 
For more episodes and to check out other great podcasts, go to podcastone.com.au or download the app.